0: Welcome to what I'm calling the Addendum. This podcast as a whole is a talk story or a set of talk stories, stories to my children. But, you know, sometimes I wasn't in the mood to tell stories and I just wanted to talk about other things. And I've put these other things into... The same podcast, but I want to separate them out from the talk stories. So, here's what I'm doing. Um, this is the start of the addenda, if I can put it like that, and this is episode one of the addenda, you know, or do you say addendum? Addendums, you know. Um, this is episode one of the addenda. <laughs> I don't like the sound of addenda, but it's probably right. And um, and But so that they don't get mixed up with the talk stories, you know, so that you've got... I've just decided to do this halfway through. Um, I am going to put the dates forward. You can do that in podcast land. Um, let's say I'm uh, doing a podcast on the 25th of July 2019, right? I'm going to forward date these addenda to the 25th of July 2024 exactly five years hence you know forward um so if you're listening to a podcast uh, an episode this episode let's say this episode is dated whatever in 2024 just subtract five years and you'll know when i actually did it let's get on with the show Uh, I'm feeling slightly guilty, I never feel guilty, but I do feel slightly guilty uh, about using Meryl Streep as my inspiration for the character of the uh, orphanage lady, uh, Ms Streep. Uh, I don't even know Ms Meryl Streep Uh, and The reason I'm using her for inspiration is not anything to do with her character as a whole, other than the fact that Meryl Streep strikes me as uh, being a saint, you know. I prefer very, very rich people not to play saint, but that's just me, and uh, it's probably a prejudice I've got. I've got no problem with that. Uh, And... um, And she tends to give lectures, you know, she tends to give lectures and that bugs me too. people who give passionate lectures, you know, and tell people off, especially if they're super rich and, you know, especially if they're of a class, a class of people, uh, such as that to which, uh, Meryl Streep belongs, which appears to me to be what I, you know, what a lot of people call an elite Establishment, you know. i um, in America; they call it an elite liberal establishment. But in in um, in Australia, liberal has a slightly more, you know, conservative uh, connotation. Um, but in um, America, liberals uh, the word liberal is loosely attached to the Democrats, um, which uh, are left leaning in a in a strange sort of way. Um, in a, in a way where you can be super rich and still be left-leaning, which is interesting uh, it's, yeah, and only Americans pull, can pull off that stuff so well uh, but in Australia, the word liberal uh, means you know, something more to the right um, okay, so that's that, you know uh, for me, the word liberal, and I, I discuss this all in, you know, I've got a separate podcast where I chat about this sort of stuff, so this is not the place for chatting about all that sort of stuff. But in my other, another podcast, which is called Apparent Squawking, I talk about all this stuff. And for me, um, a liberal political system is any system that's not, author- or, you know, to, uh, self-identifies as um, a non-authoritarian system, you know, so, so you know, uh, socialists believe themselves to be liberals, you know they're there for the freedom of the people and and so are conservatives, conservatives believe themselves to be liberals as and uh, quite literally the Liberal Party in Australia which is the Conservative Party uh, calls themselves, obviously, the Liberal Party, you know, because they believe they have the way forward for freedom for the people liberty for the people, you know uh, liberalism, um, but you know all the political systems in the world that you can poke a stick at in the modern era are liberal systems uh, in terms of their core values, self-identified. Yeah, you know. um, I don't mind having these chats to you after the podcast is finished. Okay, uh, but um, and in Australia it gets a little bit tricky because you know histor- historically. Liberal doesn't mean necessarily left-leaning, uh, and but we do, we do, we are aware, of course, that people in America use the word liberal like that. You know, uh, the Democrats claimed themselves to be liberals, as as did the Republicans early in America's, uh, let's say, career. You know, um, all the three major parties in America, the Whigs the Republicans and the uh, Democrats were all liberal parties early in America's career and uh, career, what a funny word to use there, but uh, and what happened there was the Democrats seem to have uh, more recently, you know, um, uh, made the loudest claim on the word liberal, you know, And um, so uh, the Republicans used to say, we are anti-Democrat, and the Democrats saying, we are liberals, we are liberals, you know. And the Republicans should have shouted just as loudly, we are the liberals, we are the liberals, you know, you're not, you know. Uh, We are for the freedom of the people, not you. you You're for the enslavement of the masses, you know. Um, And, uh, you know, so that you, the elite few... Uh, can have all the money and the beautiful clothes, like Meryl Streep, is what I'm suggesting, um, and, and pull off the, the pull off the best trick in history, and get the peasants to love you for that, you know. And and that's roughly how it works in Hollywood and amongst the the beautiful people in the, the you know the establishment elite or what the Americans call the illiberal elite. And I suppose I've got that in my head about Meryl Streep, you know. That, I mean, you know, um, all of us people who are rich, because I'm rich as well, um, we're all loathsome in a way if we don't share our money, in a communist or socialist sort of way. We're all horrible, you know. Like I, um, I had a nice lunch today, and I'm driving along in my car, and I'm having a comfortable life, and there are people, there are kids dropping dead, um, to whom I could have given at least 50% of my money and still being comfortable enough, so I'm horrible, you know, but I don't claim to be a saint, so there's just this layer of hypocrisy, the hypocrisy uh, that goes with people who, like me, who are rich, you know, and who uh, also lecture other people on how to be better people, and I guess I pick on Meryl Streep for that reason, a little bit, you know, but more explicitly um, Oh, look, I'm going to have to digress because I like to Sometimes I do like talking. Um, now, there's a funny thing. Um, it, it is the dream, you know, to be rich and have all the masses poor. Right? That's, that's been done many times in history. But to have the poor masses love you at the same time into the bargain is the dream you know and in the old days that was done by via god you know but now it's done by some other uh, alchemy <laughs> and um and i'm impressed you know and that and that's the dream you know and if you can pull that one off on this planet you're really going somewhere and um and you know th- this sort of liberal um yeah, kind of grew out of The French Revolution, really, you know, and all the revolutions that went with that, which included the American Revolution, you know, hence, you know, modern America. Okay. Uh, but, um, and, you know, I always, um, I'm always struck, and I don't know how relevant it is, there was a thing called the war in the Vendée, children. The war in the Vendée. You know, in the Loire Valley. Loire, L-O-I-R-E. In, um... And in in France in France and um and what you had over there was before all these liberal systems about which I speak <laughs> um we you had an authoritarian regime you know which was the um the monarchy of France you know and um the Burgundians and the other ones or whatever they were um King Louis the 99th, you know, and, um, and Marie Antoinette, who never said, let them eat cake, you know, those people, uh, and, um, uh, and back in France, and I'll get back to Meryl Streep soon, uh, back in France, I've, I've, you know, I'm just in the mood to digress, because I'm driving along, and, uh, back in France, you had three layers in society, which the French used to call the first estate, and the second estate, and the third estate you know and the first estate was the priestly class you know and the second class uh, the second estate was the nobility and the third estate was the peasants and the merchants and everybody else who wasn't in who weren't in the first or the second class you know the second or first estate and i hope i got the nobility and the priesthood around the right way i'm sure that surely the priesthood has to be the first estate you know being closer to god yeah. and the the way the system worked is you know you could be a sun king, you know beautiful you know you could um, you could be all in gold, and the idea was to get the peasants to love you um, and in that authoritarian regime and stay peasants at the same time you know that's the dream in the authoritarian systems, and uh, what used to happen that was monarchies by divine rule you know and God. God would, um, give power to the monarch, you know, and the nobility, you know, that was God given, um, and then the monarch would, uh, dispense that power amongst his people, you know, and the people would be grateful for that because, you know, who's going to cross God, you know, you're not going to cross God, are you? Uh, so that's the way it worked, and if, if anyone would ever doubt that, um, you would, um, they would appeal to the priest class and say, "Is this true?" You know, they would ask the first estate, "Is the second class estate, um, do they have their power from God?" You know, and the first estate would say, "Yes, you must do everything the king says because God gave the king power, you know, uh, to to rule over you." And then the peasants in the third estate would say, um, "Are you sure?" And they say, "Yes," because we are the priestly class, and we are in contact with God. And then the peasants would go to the king and say, "All right, we've had it confirmed. Um, yes, true, you are our king, and we love you for it." You know. And then the king would hand a check to the priests and the bishops. You know, and it would all work out beautifully. Uh, but what happened? And now this is interesting. A new, um, the French Revolution came along, and there was one particular moment which caught my attention, and it was in the Vendée region of France. And what happened there? Is in Paris, various systems came along that sought to overthrow the monarchy. You know, overthrow divine rule. And, um, and uh, you know, they had a, a new political system uh, in mind, and it was secular, you know, and it was not divine rule. It was um, along liberal lines, you know, liberty for the people. But it was basically liberty for the few, you know, in the old-fashioned Roman sense. You know? um, one of these particular... Um, well, the French Revolution was actually a, a series of revolutions, you know, but I'm, I've got one in mind, you know. And um, the Paris... uh, In Paris, you know, the, the red, white, and blue Liberté Egalité Fraternité had a new model in which the priestly class and the monarchy would no longer be relevant and a new elite would rule. You know. But the interesting thing about this new political system is the first estate and the second estate, the priests and the monarchs, would be replaced by this new liberal elite. And that was a change in political system. Uh, But interestingly enough, the social system wasn't to change. The peasants were to remain peasants. Now that's interesting. You know, they weren't for liberty of all the people. You know, there was a social order still and that was to be maintained. And the net effect of that was, you know, George Orwell uh, style, one ruling class would be replaced by another ruling class, which was basically the hereditary rulers by divine right and the priest would be replaced by the intellectuals and, um, you know, a, diff- a, a secular elite, you know. Um, anyway, what happened was over in the Vendée... And this was this all took root in Paris and, um, and this... Elite overthrew the monarchy, yeah, and uh, and you know, we're about to fan out across France and then the, Europe and then the world, obviously. Um, uh, we're about to fan out and um, overthrow the nobility wherever they could find it, you know. And um, and they had control of the army in Paris, too, you know, which is you know the most potent army around. So they took hold of the army, this new elite, and the monarchy and the priesthood were out, you know. And there was a thing called the reign of terror. And I'm, you know, uh, if I, if, you know, I would need to study a little bit more to, um, to get the sequencing right, you know. Uh, but one way or another, um, there came a time when a, a group of elites, liberals, and uh, not Democrats, there was no such thing as Democrats, you know, the American-style Democrats. We're not in America, we're in France, you know. So liberal does not mean necessarily left-leaning, you know. It depends on your perspective, you know. It can be right winging La- Right-winning? Right-leaning, the word liberal, if you like. You know, if you think right-leaning will provide freedom for the people, then, you know, a conservative right-wing political system is a liberal system, you know. Alright, now, uh, so what happened was, waving the red and white-blue flag, red, white and blue flag of liberty, equality and fraternity, um, pardon my French, uh, the liberals uh, from Paris went up to, you know, sent a signal up to the now the Vendée region it's sort of to the north I'm shocking at geography I like history but um, I let myself down because I kind of get bored trying to get the maps out and have a look at geography you know but uh, I think it's towards the north um, the Loire Valley uh, with the Loire River River, and I'm probably saying Loire wrong you know I did French at school but you know what do you learn at school I learned the grammar for six years and, and never learned to speak the thing um, okay, and what happened was, they went out up to, and this will get back to Mineral Streep in a way, they went up to uh, the Vendée region, and they were going to overthrow the nobility, so that the people should be free, you know, and shock and horror, the peasants up there sided with the nobility the peasants and the nobility and the priestly class were all united against this new political system of freedom. The peasants wanted to stick with what they had. And the liberals, uh, you know, who were after freedom, this was a risk to freedom, as far as they could see. The peasants wanting to stick to the nobility. So what did the liberal-loving, you know, the freedom-loving liberals do? They engaged the army to go up there and slaughter the peasants. Now, I've, I, I, you know, now there would have been nuance in all of this, but this is roughly how it went. And I found that fascinating because it reminded me of sort of America in a way where the liberal elite. You know, because back in the Vendée region there, back in um, you know, France, and when would that have been? About 1800, you know. I don't know which revolution it was, you know, which which phase of the French Revolution, but it was, you know, late 1700s or whatever, something like that. It was definitely way before Napoleon. And um anyway, what happened was the peasants were on the side of the conservatives. And the liberals if you like were anti the peasants anti the people as it were and I find that fascinating I've spoken a little bit too long there in a way because this is supposed to be short podcasts short short episodes all the way um, now that kind of reminded me of the way the uh, a lot of the would you call them peasants in America that vote for Donald Trump who I am no fan of you know I will say that and I'm I'm not just saying that so that I can have a crack at Merrill later, um, but I'm no fan of Donald Trump, you know, and I'm no fan of Hillary Clinton either, you know. That was the um, election from hell, that election in America, you know. We were both, can- you know, Hillary, who was all for the continuation of the establishment elite, and Donald Trump, who um, is probably the most divisive world leader I've ever seen, you know. Uh, shocking. Shocking choice. Hillary and Trump both terrible. In as far as I can, you know, as far as I can tell, from from way over here in Australia, yeah, you know, the American political system is awful. You know, I don't even like it. Um, one person, one man, at this point in time, can declare war. That's nuts. You know, that's, um, gee, that's just, that feels like the authoritarian days of old. Okay, anyway, so uh, what happened in the Vendee region with the peasants being what you might call conservative reminds me of, you know, what you might call the struggling battlers of America, the poor people, um, siding with what you might call a conservative, you know, like Donald Trump, and and to a certain extent rich liberals in Hollywood um, lecturing these poor people. You know, not poor people, not poor, are oh, you poor people, but actually poverty-stricken people. So you can have this spectre of someone like um, Meryl Streep, say, lecturing a, uh, a, a family uh, for their lack of um, progressive credentials on the side of feminism and all that sort of stuff and LGBT and all that sort of thing. Meryl Streep marching, you know, stopping outside in her um, stretch limousine, stepping out out of her car, and this is how I imagine it, and I may have Meryl wrong, but I can imagine her knocking on the front door of one of these poor houses, um, you know, some family who's who's renting because they lost their house in the global financial crunch. Um and knocking on the door and chastising them because they're not being feminist enough, or something like that, you know. Because Meryl Streep has a lot of causes, and from my memory, I looked them up once, and none of them were to uh, were about the wealth gap. You know, nothing specifically about the wealth gap between the super rich in America and you know the poor masses. You know, the the struggling people. You know, um, and she had every other cause. <laughs> Uh, LGBT and feminism and you know poverty in Africa and all that sort of stuff, you know, or poverty in general, but not not struggle street poverty, you know. Um, anyway, I can imagine Meryl Streep, and this is where I might have her badly wrong, and um, I I won't say I apologise because I don't. If I if I wanted to really apologise, I'd just delete this episode, wouldn't I? Um, and um, and I've got it in mind that she uh, I can I can just imagine her hopping. Um, you know, dressing somebody down and no one does that better than Meryl Streep. She is just so incredibly passionate and eloquent at the same time and she fairly shakes with fury as she's giving a lecture. I, uh, I've got, you know, I've seen it. Um, but she never she never loses her words, you know. So she she maintains her rage and her eloquence at the same time, which is a good trick. And I can imagine her furiously dressing down the woman of the house for being a conservative and, you know, not for example voting Hillary, which was a step in a feminist direction, you know and the woman saying all I care about is my husband getting a job um, because I haven't got bread for my children and I couldn't care less, you know, and Meryl Streep really thinking badly of this woman, you know So here we have a peasant woman, so to speak, in America, Struggle Street, you know, um, defaulted on her mortgage, and um, she wants her husband to go and get a job. She wants to stay home with the children. And, you know, and I'm not saying I agree with all of this. She doesn't care about feminism at this point in time because she just wants anybody to be in charge who will get her back into a house somehow. You know, she lost her house in the global financial crunch. So here we have a peasant siding with... And now, now, with the conservatives, let's say, and, um, and a liberal coming along in a stretched limousine and kind of wanting to slaughter her in a way, but verbally, you know. But there's... You know, is there an analogy there? Anyway, the reason I ended up... Um, getting stuck into Meryl. Um, oh, is this yours, is it? Okay. Yeah, no worries, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was sitting in somebody's um, permit zone, um, which is fine. Um, and I didn't realise. What, what are the chances? <laughs> now, uh, oh, here we go, two hour. Um, so, uh, but the other reason I got stuck into Meryl and and felt, ah, well, she's fair game, you know, is um, there was a certain moment when she was out of the running for an Academy Award nomination. She was out of the running, you know. And when I say out of the running, it means Ladbrokes had her at, you know, a million to one. There is no way she was going to get a nomination, you know, perhaps because the movie wasn't good enough. I actually haven't seen any of Meryl Streep's movies in my life. I don't actually watch movies, you know. Uh, As I've often said, uh, my wife and I have only seen, sorry, I'm talking to you children, your mother and I have only seen, besides a couple of children's shows with you kids, because you have to go into the movies with you um, on the rare occasion. We do go to the movies with you for kids' shows, um, but for grown-up movies, you know, seven, eight movies in 15 years or 14 years, and that's all we've seen. Um, But... Meryl Streep was, nominated, was not nominated for an Academy Award, and just before the nominations were about to come out, she gave an impassioned uh, speech, and she seems to time these, and you can check that on the internet yourselves. Her big speeches um, against Trump, for example, are timed just before Academy Award nominations time. And, you know, I smell a rat, you know. Um, now, it may, it may be a coincidence, but I smell a rat. And if I smell a rat, I'm just going to run with it, you know. And because, you know, I'm not exactly fair, I'm not exactly nice, and I'm not a saint, okay. And in this particular speech, Donald Trump had been um, horrible to a person with disabilities, you know, because Meryl Streep loves all the causes, you know, except for the cause of... The wealth gap in America. She 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 won't stand up for that one, as far as I can tell. Um, but she'll stand up for every other cause. People with disabilities, you know, uh, feminism, and um, you know, and LGBT, and all the rest. All of which I agree with. I'm fine with all of the. You know, I'm, I'm I'm with her on all of those. Um, but she was fairly shaking with fury, Meryl Streep, shaking with fury at the fact that Donald Trump um, had been, um, horrible to, a, you know, he had taken the mickey out of a person with disabilities, you know, mimicked him, you know, his uh, kind of spastic ways, I mean spastic in the, in the literal meaning of the word, you know, um, and, uh, had mimicked this disabled person and Meryl Streep was horrified and shocked and dismayed and whatever people are on, let's say, social media these days. And, um and all right I got that you know I thought she was right but I the, just the lecturing way she did it you know maybe it's a hangover from when I was a kid and people her age used to give me lectures now I'm her age not quite but you know getting there um, but you know just that way she lectures you know that you know from the position of a saint you know when I, I think you should be careful of the hypocrisy when you're so rich you know all right now that's fine but the point is, immediately after she got an award nomination, uh, Academy Award nomination, number one, I feel that bumped somebody else, some other actor, you know, see I said actor, I didn't say actress, some other female actor um, for an Academy Award nomination. And in all her actions after that, you know, she was just so humbled and Um, by the award nomination, which was a record number of Academy Award nominations. And she was humbled and privileged, right, to get that award nomination, she said. Humbled and privileged. And um, practically, you know, and I think, wow. Did you have anything in your... uh, Does any part of you feel a little guilty that you wouldn't have that award nomination... But for, because Ladbrokes doesn't lie, the betting had her at a million to one, and then suddenly they had her at five to one. That is about, um, that's all about that speech, anti-Donald Trump speech, which will get you a nomination. Um, So I had a problem with that. I smelt a rat, you know. And then um, that was all, you know, that was one thing. But then what happened after that? Not long after that, and I noticed... um, Someone and as she was preparing uh, for her award, uh, you know, for the Academy Award celebrations, um, some dressmaker let her down on her dress, and she gave a speech about that, and it was just as passionate, and she was filled with just as much fury and eloquence as she was about. Um, Donald Trump having having been horrible to a disabled person, and she was being like that about her dress, and she said words to the effect that this is my uh, the most wonderful moment of my life, or something like that. Google it yourself, and you know just Google something like Meryl Streep dress, Academy Awards, Fury, or something. You know you'll find it. That's the way the internet works now, and um, and she was eloquent and furious about the mistreatment of her with respect to someone letting her down in terms of her dress, you know, the dress that she was going to wear at the Academy Awards. And um, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, but I just smelt a rat all the way through and... And I look at her smiling, you know, sort of next to Hillary, who I didn't like. And I was thinking, "Um, are you such a saint, you know? Now, at the same time, I'm saying I'm not a saint. In fact, I'm being quite horrible attacking her when I hardly know her. So I am being quite horrible. So I'm being amoral and I'm being lots of things, children. Um, Your daddy isn't perfect. But after all that, it just turned around in my mind. And I thought to myself, hmm. I think I'm going to make the orphanage lady a Miss Streep. I'm a very bad person, you know. Hmm. In for a penny, in for a pound, the following has a stab in the dark at what my politics are. Now, um, this is buried deep at the end of an episode which uh gives me some ground cover no one's going to get this far into the episode to ever even hear this that's my theory and i think it's a genuine theory you know i'm not putting that on i think that's genuine i don't think many people will get to this point uh there's something wrong with you if you have (laughs) right now um yeah so my politics all right uh and um no one's going to get this far into the episode to find out what my politics are. That reminds me of a Vicar of Dibley episode. Frank, was that his name? The boring one? Um, Yeah, I'm channeling him. Uh, He came out as gay in one episode. Uh, He had a radio station, or he had a guest spot on a radio station, and he came out as gay. But because he's so boring... Nobody actually heard it, so he got to come out without coming out. Now my politics. Well, I'm going to make up a term. I'm going to call myself an all else liberal. We have this phrase in Australia uh, called small L liberals, uh, and um, with that we sort of mean, you know. I don't think we should use the phrase small L liberals. We should say American style liberals, you know, because the Americans um, have this way of um, associating the word liberal. As I mentioned in that sort of Streep segment, segment uh, they have this way of associating the word liberal with uh, the left. And in Australia, historically, uh, because the Liberal Party, Menzies started the Liberal Party, our Liberal Party, um, which was meant to be um, conservative-progressive, you know, uh, progressive-conservative. In Australia, the word, as I mentioned before, the word liberal is associated with something slightly on the conservative side, okay? So, uh, but as I mentioned before, Australia noticed that America was using liberal in the other way. Um, You know, left-leaning. So, you know, rough as guts. Um, Australia, liberal means slightly right-leaning and Uh, errs on the side of right-leaning, and in um, America, uh, errs on the side of left-leaning, you know, just the word, it's only a word, what's in a word, a word is whatever it means, you know, Um, if you, if you call a swan a duck, it's still a swan, but it's a duck now, you know, so, um, now, uh, now, how to make sense of that, you know, the way that words, a, a word can mean two different things, well, The only way I can sort of resolve all that for me is to say that um, to use what I think is the old-fashioned meaning of the word liberal, which means any system that is not a divine rule monarchy. Uh, This is French Revolution talk. Um, So when you chop a king's head off, the system you put in place after that Is the idea of it is probably meant to be liberal. All right, now the system you put in place after you chop a king's head off, and I mean a divine rule king, not a queen like Queen Elizabeth because she's not a divine rule monarch. We don't have a monarchy in Australia, we have a constitutional monarchy, it's a different thing. Uh, The queen works for us, whereas. You know, Queen Elizabeth works for us. Where Queen Elizabeth II works for us, whereas Queen Elizabeth I worked for God. Very different, you know. So when people say, we need to get rid of the monarchy, you know, um, I don't think they, a lot of people don't, haven't got a clear idea in their minds that what they're saying there, they're not doing something like, uh, you know, they're not being the next French Revolution when they say that, you know? They're probably getting rid of a system that is quite good and nothing like getting rid of a monarchy in the sense that getting rid of a monarchy in the old days was getting rid of a monarchy, okay? Now, um, uh, really it's just um, switching a Queen Elizabeth II style head of state who never gets on Twitter for possibly a Donald Trump style president who is always on Twitter. Uh, Or it's possibly, possibly about uh, getting rid of a governor general, as we have as our effective head of state, who can't declare war, and switching that for a president who can declare war, like Donald Trump can, you know. Um, It's about switching, perhaps, you know, nothing to do with, you know, French Revolution-style get rid of the king, you know, nothing to do with that. It's it's about perhaps getting rid of a governor-general that interferes, shall we say, in the political life of Australia, not at all. Um, he's just there, you know, to bring down the hammer if... Um, a prime minister should go right off the rails like Goff Whitlam did once, you know. Um economically he did. Okay, so it's about switching a governor general who does nothing for a president who feels he needs to be doing something every day, or else he's not being a good president, you know. Um switching a governor general who isn't voted in. And isn't you know doesn't feel the need to be taking action all the time, um, yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't get voted in, you know. Uh, for a president who has been voted in by the people, and to get voted in, he had to make all sorts of promises that he would do things, you know. So it's about switching a governor general who does nothing to a president who does lots of things every day. And it's a question of what you wish for, you know. And care for what you wish for. And me, I prefer the way we've got it. The worst possible thing, in my opinion, is having a head of state who feels like he or she needs to do something. To some extent, I think um, the best head of state, you know, the, the, the the strongest political system is a politician who doesn't feel the need to do anything, you know. The less... A politician is doing the less the less heroic a head of state is being, the stronger the country yeah you know, that sort of thing all right, so I call myself and and you know and i I kind of only just made that up as I was you know preparing to you know I was driving along and saying what am I and I say all right, I'm going to call myself an all else liberal, and what I mean by that I'm in favor of a of the best system possible that creates freedom for the people. Okay? But I don't want to define that any in any more detail. Yeah, It could mean the most freedom for the most people, but it doesn't have to mean that, you know? Uh, so, I'm for a system that is not, you know, it's easier to say what you don't want than what you do want. And yeah, Socrates said that. You know, I, I can't tell you what I do believe in. I don't know if I'm quoting him perfectly. I, I can't tell you what I do think is true, but I can tell you what I think is not true. You know? um, so I can tell you what I don't want, and that is any sort of divine rule kind of monarchy, you know, authoritarian rule. Um, I'm into freedom for the people and that's an all else liberal someone who's into freedom for the people and um and you'll say all right all, more details please you know do you mean socialist you know because they think they're f- they're all for freedom for the people or are you a progressive conservative like the liberal party in australia you know self-identified progressive conservatives yeah. um are you one of those you know maybe you call that liberal Um, are you, you know, are you into sort of Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Obama style, um, American style of liberal, liberal elitism? Is that the sort of freedom you want? Or maybe Donald Trump sort of freedom, you know, isolationist type of freedom where you, um, yeah, and all that sort of thing, you know. Tell us what you mean. Do you, are you into the Labour Party in Australia? You know, all for the workers. That's the best freedom for the people, all for the workers. You know, what sort of freedom do you like? Do you, are you communist? You know, you're a Leninist right now? You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, okay, so, um, by an all L liberals, uh, I mean, I'm for uh, any combination of all of those things, plus other things not yet even invented, as long as it's not authoritarian rule. Um, but even then, you know, I might decide that free, you know, I, I, I vote for freedom for the people. Uh, so sometimes in times of disaster, um, I might vote for a temporary authoritarian rule, which is, you know, I might be in favour of a state of emergency if if um, Australia is in... Dire straits for some external reason or internal reason. Okay, so um, a small L liberal uh, might even go for authoritarian rule, and that was a system in ancient Rome. Um, they had a temporary, the idea of a temporary dictator, very dangerous. Um, dev- you would only use it in an emergency because you know you don't. You never know if a temporary dictator is going to help you, uh, come in, um, like Julius Caesar did, and say no i think i'll oh, well, let's just let's just make this um k- keep going for the rest of my life you know that sort of thing now there was a a, a dictator you know probably the first great dictator in rome who was who uh, was sulla uh he was brought in as a temporary dictator uh to help rome through an internal crisis and he did give it up you know he understood the system and he had he had noble aims, you know. He was brutal and everything, you know, because it was a state of emergency at the time. Um, civil rights, as you might call them, uh, are not a right uh, because they can be suspended in a time of emergency, even in Australia. You know, when people, when Martin Luther King says we want civil rights, what he means is we want limited civil rights. Uh, because we are quite happy, you know, unless he was a nut job, which I don't think he was. What we mean by we demand civil rights, well, we know what he was demanding. You know, he wanted equality for um, African Americans. There's a well. lot but, uh, but, you know, um, zooming out a little bit, when you want civil rights, what you mean is you want limited civil rights. Okay you got to demand civil responsibilities too. And, um, and you know, civil rights also means that in a time of internal or external tension or stress or, you know, disaster, uh, a state of emergency can be called where um, civil rights are suspended for a period of time. Yeah, you know? And I'm for that. Uh, so I'm into authoritarian rule in a way too, but I would only use it in extreme emergency. So I'm an all else liberal and I kind of like, Australia's balance um you know I have a separate podcast in which I said it, I I've, you know on a um theoretical level I would prefer yeah um an idealistic level I would prefer that Australia uh we got the two constitutions together you know of, because I, I do think we have a second constitution in Australia the indigenous which is indigenous Australia yeah um which is made up of, you know, many sub-constitutions, which is all the mobs in Australia, you know. And, uh, but, you know, bundling all those guys up, um, I think, you know, a constitution doesn't have to be written down per se. Um, You don't actually have to construct one. It can be, um, you know, Rome had a constitution, but it was in people's heads. It wasn't written down. It wasn't written down. Rome had a constitution. It was called the idea of Rome. And with that actually... and it couldn't even be put into words. It was kind of more sublime than that, you know, the idea of Rome. The constitution of Rome was something elusive, you know. It was an idea. And, uh, and occasionally, you know, you'd have some people trying to put that into words. And Cicero was famous for that. I heard that um, in ancient Latin he would have been called Cicero. <laughs> but Cicero, they had a hard C back then, Cicero. Um, you know, and Julius Caesar would not have been Julius Caesar. He would have been Julius Kaiser. Kaiser, you know, just like the Germans. Um, okay. Uh, so, I'm a small-l liberal, girls, and you can make of that what you will. You know? And, you know, I'm, I, I, I think, you know, uh, European Australia or British Australia. It's not European Australia, you know, we're not French. Um, British Australia... Um, has a constitution, Uh, and I think Indigenous Australia does have a constitution too, you know, so we've got two systems in Australia, Um, but at the moment, you know, British Australia is trying to bring Indigenous Australia in, you know, there's a debate on it at the moment, and, you know, I think there will be some recognition of Indigenous Australia within uh, British Australia, and... I would prefer that the two constitutions you know were married in a more equal partnership, which sounds ridiculous because you know uh, I won't say why it sounds ridiculous, but you know the the British Australia is so powerful and in the majority I'm not talking morally I'm talking about just sheer practicality, and I think indigenous people know that too um, but you know ideally um I would like the two constitutions to be married into one new one, um, which is something like someone like Andrew Bolt would just despise as an idea you know uh, um, but we 're doing something different in Australia at the moment, where even indigenous people are trying to get into the british Australian system, you know, Indigenous Australia sort of in 1967 went to, you know, said, all right, we'll have a vote in your system, you know, we'll hop out of our system somewhat and we will come into your system and have a vote, you know, we will go for civil rights, Martin Luther King style, which I think is a shocking, uh, on an idealistic level, is a shocking thing for, um, a shocking cave-in by the, the uh, by indigenous people of australia to even want the vote you know uh, yeah if if i was a hothead indige- young indigenous bloke i would say i don't want your stinking vote you know i would say that civil rights is um a cave in you know civil rights go- going for civil rights is giving up on a sovereign indigenous sort of uh on on your sovereignty as an indigenous person it's coming into the british club it's coming into the australia club you know it's it's a cave in it's a trick you know if there'd be indigenous people who um were swept along because that happened just after Martin Luther King, didn't it? Um, Civil rights in Australia, you know, for Indigenous people. Was that just immediately after Martin Luther King? Now that I think about it, I'd have to to check what the timing was. Um, Would have been within a year, wouldn't it, or two? Maybe at the same time? Martin Luther King was surely giving speeches at exactly the same time and maybe there were some Indigenous people that were swept along by Martin Luther King-style type talk um, who actually... Um, tricked themselves, you know, because they have nothing in common with African-Americans. They have something in common, the Indigenous people of Australia, with Indigenous people of America, you know, First Nations Americans, you um, yeah, Native Americans. Um, uh, if, um, and gee, you would hope that Indigenous people would never... Uh, Uh, feel that they had something in common with African Americans just based on skin colour or anything like that because that would just be stupidity on one level. Not on other levels, on the racism level sure but on a political level just stupidity you know um, on the part of any indigenous person who thought like that they should be identified and identifying with um, Native and I'm sure they do um, Native Americans but I'm sure you know, Martin Luther King back in the 1960s was so influential and that whole civil rights movement in America was so Huge, you know, because African Americans and Americans in general are so influential that you can almost imagine some indigenous people being swept along by that and saying, We want that too. And I say, No, stop. No, you're different. You've got nothing in common. No, you don't want civil rights. You want indigenous rights. You know, that's what I'd be saying if I was an indigenous activist. You know, Um, I'm not, you know, except to the extent that I'm making this commentary now, uh, but I'm, I'm not the sort of person who's ever marched down the street for anything, you know, okay, all right, except for, you know, exonerate James Heard. <laughs> okay, that's where I get tribal <laughs> with my football, all right, so an all else liberal, you know, and I kind of like Australia because, you know, and um, a small L liberals, you know, there's a lot of words you could get the butcher's paper out, and you know, uh, you could put words. What is a what is a liberal, you know? And you can say, well, you know, it's it's democracy, it's republicanism, it's constitutional monarchy, it's socialism, it's conservatism, it's everything, you know, any as long as it isn't authoritarian divine rule monarchy. And even on the butcher's paper, you can say, and yet it is authoritarian. Um, In the sense that you can call a state of emergency, emergency and have a temporary dictator or, as you did in ancient Rome, or a temporary state of emergency where... Uh, in Australia, where you don't actually put a dictator in place per se, but the government has more powers, and the poli- you know the police have more powers for a while, and the internet can be shut down and things like that, and that's a state of emergency, you know. So your civil right, your rights to information are curtailed. For example, you know your right to know what's going on, you know your right to transparency of government are suspended for a while yeah it's happened in you know I study Ethiopia a lot via my goddaughter and um they've had two states of emergency recently um and they you know the cables chopped you know, no internet um things like that and you get you don't get to know what the government's doing and the the government is not accountable and the the government can send the um you know uh, um, an arrest they can just go out and arrest people without any evidence and things like that, you know, that can happen in a state of emergency. And that's inbuilt into our system as it stands, you know. And you just have to sit in your house with no internet and just cop it sweet. That's your civil rights. Now, but it has to be a big emergency. But Australia, what are we? Yeah, so you could get that butcher's paper out and we're a little bit of all of that, you know. We're a capitalist country and yet we're a socialist country because we have universal universal healthcare. Uh, That's socialist, you know. Anything, you know, and... Um, we have state schools and that's socialist. Um, and we have a lot of other things that are socialist in nature. Um, and the difference between our two major parties, the, um, yeah, the coalition, as we call it, which is, um, the Liberal National Coalition and the Labour Party, uh, they both have the same, they're both liberals, you know, they're both all L liberals like me, uh, and they both go for a capitalist-socialist blend with other bits as well, drawing on other systems. Um, they both, you know, both parties are the same in that sense. And people say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I hate about them. You know, they're both the same and we don't get a choice. It's not a true democracy. We don't... And I say, well, that's true. It isn't a true democracy because, you know, we have a system in place that, uh, for example, if you wanted to vote divine rule monarchy and you sort of couldn't, you know, so... Um, Everything's limited, you know, you think you've got freedom, there's no such thing as freedom, there's no such thing as rights, you know, you've got the right to as many rights as can be given to you, you know, but no more. Um, and those can be suspended at any time anyway, you know, if the threat of war or something is big enough, all that can get suspended, you know. Um, so, um, so we're all those things, uh, um, so we're a capitalist society, but we've got lots of socialism. Now, the difference between the two parties is there is a difference between the two parties. You are voting for something, right? But we don't give you much power. You know, you don't have that, as much civil rights as you think, and neither should you, in my opinion, and neither should I. Um, what you do is you get to vote on what percentage of socialism do you want with your cup of tea. You know? How many teaspoons of socialism would you like? in your cup of tea. That's all you get to vote for realistically in Australia. So if you vote the liberal coalition, um, the liberal national coalition, you, you know, it's a vote for slightly smaller government and less, you know, less um, less services under a socialist model, you know, more user pays, you know. And if you vote for Labor, it'll go the other way, a little bit, you know, an extra teaspoon of socialism and, one, and just a little bit less uh, capitalism. That's all you're voting for, but that's as much as you get, you know, and I like that, and that's the way it should be, in my opinion. Don't give the people too much power, is my feeling. Give them as much liberty as you can, but don't give them too much power because, you know, I said I didn't like um, uh, divine rule monarchies because I don't like all that power. In the hands of humans, you know, um, there is uh, the most brutal dictator can be the people. Um, the, the people with given too much power, the people given too much power uh, would probably give Julius Caesar a run for his money. And the people loved Julius Caesar for that, too, because he was a bit like that, too. He's a populist. (laughs) Okay, so that's that. Um, Look, I could keep yakking on about that forever. Uh, But I just felt like having a chat. And that will do for now. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started.